but I also want to, you know, convey that I'm constructive, you know, I'm looking to get the deal done and I'm going to be as efficient as I can uh, getting there and that I'm easy to deal with. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. My guest on today's episode of the Inspire podcast is Jeff Lister. Jeff is a corporate partner in the Vancouver office of Faskin, a global law firm. And Jeff does a lot of things. He works on franchising, uh, general corporate and governance matters. Uh, But I would say his real area of specialty is mergers and acquisitions. And I, I know this from personal experience. I retained Jeff some years ago for a very complex transaction that had a lot of twists and turns, but reached a successful conclusion. We'll talk more about what that transaction was on our call. But that's why I want to have Jeff on, because here's a guy who really understands how to bring a deal together. And it's not because of his legal expertise, which is strong. It's because of how he communicates and how he helps his clients communicate. So in our discussion, we talk about how you authentically build rapport, how you can help people you're negotiating with understand what they really want, and what you can do to manage emotion in a negotiation that gets heated. I hope you enjoy, as I did, my conversation with Jeff Lister. my great pleasure to have Jeff Lister, a partner at Faskin's Vancouver office, uh, joining me on the Inspire podcast. And uh, I've known, Jeff, I think I've known you for what, seven seven years now? I think it's about that, yeah, seven, eight years. Yeah, and uh, we got to know each other <laughs> kind of in the heat of battle, if you will. You know, when I was um, negotiating to buy the Humphrey Group, um, you know, I was really fortunate to have Jeff work with me through that transaction. And um, you know, ultimately led to a successful resolution for for everyone, and not just for me, but for for Judith and for the the firm. And I really came to appreciate how you handled uh, the negotiation, uh, both with me and the counsel on the other side, and and your clear skill and knowledge of that process. And so, I want to have you on today to talk about what it takes to communicate successfully. Uh, through negotiation, and um, in particular, a merger and acquisition, you know, when you're buying or selling a company, uh, what makes negotiation successful? So maybe I'll start by turning over to you and asking you to um, give a bit of a broader introduction to yourself, your practice, uh, and what an M&A transaction looks like. Sure, happy to, and thanks uh, again for, for having me on your uh, program. So I first uh, joined our firm back in 1989, and I've worked in our business group uh, since then. The core of what I do is is what we call M&A, so that's mergers and acquisitions, uh, in my case, in the in the private company context. Um, and then beyond that, I'm involved in a mix of general corporate commercial work um, and with kind of a, a specialty in, in the franchising area. So Jeff, when when typically are you retained? 
uh, in an, a merger and acquisition transaction? Yeah, so in most cases, uh, parties come to us when they have a general framework of, of a deal to sell the business. And they often think that they're much farther down the road than they actually are. But they, they have the basic idea. They know who they want to sell to or who they want to buy from. They know what it is or think they know what it is that they're buying or selling. And they have some of the terms um, outlined. So one of the first things that we usually have to do is help them with um, call it a letter of intent, uh, just the, the basic framework of some of the fundamental terms, because there's not a lot of point in going further if you can't get agreement on some of the basic terms. And if you get through that step, the next step is typically a due diligence process. So that's that's a period of time during which the buyer kind of kicks the tires. You know, the business people go into the business, they go through, you know, the financials, um, some of the material contracts, and then on the legal side, we would typically get involved in doing a bunch of governmental searches, you know, corporate registry, security registry, tax, employment, environmental, you know, all depending on the nature of the business. Overlaying that um, is usual, usually the tax considerations. So, you know, tax drives a lot of, of the structure of these arrangements. And um, ordinarily, the client, if they're very sophisticated, would have internal tax resources. Otherwise, external parties would get involved. And then on a parallel track uh, with the due diligence, there's the negotiation of the comprehensive purchase agreement, which, you know, a long list of, of issues to be addressed as part of, part of that agreement. So typically with, with all this process, what is the, how long does it take is one question I have for you. And the second question I have is given all the complexities that you've outlined here, what percentage of deals fail to be consummated? Yeah, good questions. Uh, you know, all over the map in terms of how long these deals take, but I would say, you know, typically kind of from start to finish, you can expect kind of a three month timeline. Um, but it's, you know, it's not a, unheard of for a deal to get done within a month. Others will trip along for months and months and in some cases years, you know, for, for any number of reasons. But, you know, kind of a three, a three month time frame, I would say, is pretty typical. And how about success rate? Yeah, success rate, uh, you know, pretty high, I would say. Um, you know, in my experience, certainly well over half. Um, maybe 70 or 80%, um, something like that. Usually, you know, the parties are pretty motivated if by the time they come to you, you know, they're, they want to do the deal, but there can be some, some showstoppers sometimes. And, you know, you, you do see it where, you know, they just can't come to terms on some fundamental issues and they walk away. How does it start? You know, when you think about communication, what's your, kind of what's your first priority when you're engaged either by a buyer or a seller? to set things on the right path. Yeah, yeah, you know it and it, it really comes back to any kind of a relationship that you develop with anyone in in any area. Um, you know, my objective, you know, right off the top is to develop some rapport, you know, to 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 get a sense of comfort, you know, hopefully fairly early on uh, the client and the other side will get some sense as to, you know, my knowledge, experience, and and capabilities. But I also want to, you know, convey that I'm constructive. You know, I'm looking to get the deal done, and I'm going to be as efficient as I can uh, getting there, and that I'm easy to deal with. So I want to convey those impressions. So you know, and as we all How know, first that? impressions. 
Yeah. So, you know, when I get a call from a client, uh, a new client who maybe, you know, they've got my name from another client or from, you know, could be anywhere, um, you know, again, it's usually a phone call. I think one of the most important things you can do, you know, is listen. I think a lot of us have the inclination to jump in and start talking about what we can do and how we would handle this thing and all the rest of it. But, you know, one of the most important things is to listen. You know, what what is the person looking to do? What's their background? What is it they have? Where are they in the process? I would typically ask a bunch of questions and let them talk, not launch in immediately to, you know, to what I can do. I think it can be off-putting when people, you know, just start talking without really having a clear sense of exactly what it is. And and the reality is, you know, our clients are, are looking for different things, um, sometimes different from what you might expect. Um, you know, what's their risk tolerance? You know, we get clients who come in, they, you know, they want as watertight a deal as possible and they don't care what it costs. They just want it watertight. And others, you know, our clients are business people, you know, they're prepared to pay less and accept some risk. And the inclination of lawyers, especially junior lawyers, is is to kind of leave no stone unturned, do the perfect deal without paying very much attention to kind of the business reality, the cost reality of what the client really wants, you know, on that front. So, so, so really listening, I would by say, listening, right. I would say that's right. And then adapting to your audience. You know, again, I mentioned that at the at the top of this that, you know, we might be dealing with kind of a mom pop business, you know, who are very sophisticated in terms of their own business, but have never sold a business before, you know, relative to general counsel who's doing it every day. So you really need to, um, you know, adjust your approach, your register, your choice of language. And, and some people don't seem to do that. It's surprising, you know, sometimes where, uh, you know, you, you know, someone's talking to someone who just doesn't have the depth of experience, yet they're using these legal terms and all the rest of it that just don't make sense in, in, the, uh, in the context. Another thing I'd, I'd like to ask you about building rapport, you know, you, you've talked in past conversations about the importance of creating a personal connection, whether you're speaking with your client or with the other side. You know, a lot of people uh, who, who I talk to about small talk, uh, say, oh, it's disingenuous, <laughs> you know, you're, mm. let's just get to business. Or a lot of people are very uncomfortable with small talk. What's yep. your take on it as, uh, you know, is it, is it disingenuous or can it be done authentically in a way that does great rapport? And if so, how? It, it can be forced and stilted and not everyone wants, you know, wants to, wants that there, you know, there's people who just, let's get down to business. Don't waste my time on the chit chat about the weather, but you can usually get a sense or a read on that you know, pretty early on, but when it does work, and in my experience, more often than not, it does, it can really help the relationship, you know, it can, and it can just kind of set a baseline, um, you know, rapport um, that can, that can help you get the job done. And it's not a, and it's not a one-off thing, you know, you build on it over time. And then, you know, over time, you can, you know, you, there's ways to show your clients and others that, you know, you, you care about them and you're thinking about them. You know, you can support them and, you know, you can refer business to them or a potential connection or, you know, just just this week I got a, someone sent me a report on global philanthropy and I flipped it on to a senior development rep of a, of a major not-for-profit entity that I deal with, you know, just with a, it was a quick two-second thing. You know, I thought you might be interested in this and it's not brain surgery. But it shows you're thinking about them and, you know, things like that can have an, a big impact and, 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 and just kind of set the stage for what you're wanting to achieve. You've built the rapport. You've, you've been chosen to lead the engagement. 
uh, now you're into the process. And for whatever reason, and I experienced this too, right? You know, both sides, one side wants to sell, one side wants to buy. And then for whatever reason, you kind of hit gridlock, right? And so how do you, what's your lesson or strategy at that point to keep things moving to achieve success for both sides? Yeah, and you know, you, you really have to identify what's important to your client in the deal and also um, try to understand clearly what's important to the other side. So, you know, listening is a big factor there and, and you know, just discussing, you know, look at, let's, let's kind of park whatever issues, you know, we're dealing with right now to the side and say, look, you know, big picture, what are we trying to achieve? And sometimes that's helpful. And, you know, money is usually high on the list in these transactions, but it's not everything, you know, in, in the, the family business, you know, sometimes the seller's they don't care at all about who the buyer is. They just want the check. Other times it's very important. They want a good home for their business. You know, it's been built up over 50 or a hundred years. They don't, they don't want it to die. They want to make sure that, you know, there's good caretakers going forward. You know, do they want to be involved going forward? Um, do they care? You know, do they want protection for their employees or certain key employees? Um, risk tolerance we talked about earlier. So, you know, you can be surprised on on these things sometimes. You shouldn't assume, you know, and knowledge and information in any case, but in this case, for sure, is critical. Do people not come with this clarity? I mean, what what are the signals to you that you have to dig to help people reach this or that, that they may not even know? Yeah, well, they'll get, they'll get hints. Like I, I was recently dealing with, a, it wasn't a sale of a whole company. It was a majority interest in a family business that was was being sold. And, and the, you know, the purchase price for the majority stake was important. But over time, it became clear that, you know, and, and, it, and it shouldn't have been, it wasn't surprising, but at least as important was the seller's ability to continue to contribute to the success of the business over some period of time and be involved in key decisions, partly because, you know, he wanted to have some control over the future success of the business because, you know, that was tied to the value of his remaining interest, Um, but also because he wanted to feel and be perceived as continuing to play a key role. And it was sort of, you know, it was that sort of, you know, external objective view of his role that was important to him. Um, and, you know, it, it would be easy to think that it was, you know, his motivations were purely financial, but that that wasn't the case. And then also, and this this was something that didn't occur um, to him, you know, he kind of said, well, you know, where's your liquidity with your remaining interests? Like, how how are you going to cash out ultimately? And he went, oh, that's, that's a, a good question, you know. Um, <laughs> and, you know, should we, let's look at that. Like, can you, you know, are you just along for the ride for the rest of your life? And then the issue, the interest goes to your state and your family, you know, has it and gets dividends or whatever over time? Or do you want the ability to force a sale of your interest to the to the buyer at some point? And maybe the buyer wants your right the right to force you to sell at some point. Well, that was kind of a revelation, something new, you know, and opened up a whole other issue, but also opportunity there. Well, it reminds me of um, when I was going through the process, of, which was incredibly educational, having not bought a business before until I bought this one and working with you and getting great education there. But I attended a seminar put on by 
Business Development Bank of Canada on buying businesses. But I'll never forget the last speaker who came on. She was from PricewaterhouseCoopers, and her topic was managing vendor emotion. And she said, then you know, she had done mergers and acquisitions, advisory work for PwC for many years. She said the number one reason that deals collapse in when founders go to sell is not financial but emotional. And she she did something really interesting. Yep. She wrote, she put up a slide, and on the left, she said, "This is a list of everything that founders get from their business. They get purpose, they get schedule, mm. they get camaraderie, they get challenge, they get and they get money." And the list mm. went on. And then she said, so what are you going to do? You're going to cross off all of these things and you're just going to give them money, which they probably mm-hmm. don't need if they have a saleable business. So mm-hmm. it's it's a huge sense of loss. And and so very much what you say you know, resonates with me uh, on that. And, and so perhaps you could even talk a bit about emotion because you mentioned you know, you have, you're dealing with aggressive lawyers, you're dealing with yep. founders who face loss. How much is managing emotion part of what makes you able to help your clients achieve success. Yeah, well, it it can be you know depending on the client, huge, um, and you know, and again, it really does depend on the nature of the client. But in the family business, again, um, you know, they're they're often they're selling their baby, you know, and because of that, sometimes and the associated emotion, they have unreasonable expectations. So, you know, there can be some handholding, you know, a lot of listening. Um, and expressions of understanding, which is, you know, which is authentic because you can understand how difficult it would be. Um, and just, you know, calmly expressing, you know, my views and recommendations based on my experience. Um, recognizing, of course, that ultimately it's the client, of course, that gets to make the decision. But, you know, you can sit down and say, you know, because I, I, here's an example. I had a client, um, that kind of a client who was selling his business recently and, Everything the other side came back with, you know, most of which was not unreasonable at all, was met by my client with a kind of, you know, you know, the sky is falling, you know, no goddamn way, you know, that kind of attitude. And I had to talk him down from the ledge a few times. And, you know, my job in part was to say, you know, look at this is how these deals go. You know, in my experience, you know, no one is trying to offend you with these responses. It's the normal back and forth negotiation on, you know, a long number of points. And, 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 and there's going to be more, you know, we're not just done when we deal with this group, there's going to, there just are constant points. Um, And this is how these deals go. And, you know, you can take a take it or leave it kind of approach, you know, that's entirely up to you. Um, and and you may you may you know depending on the bargaining power of the parties and the attractiveness of your company to the buyer, you know maybe you'll be able to get the deal done. But in my experience, it's really unlikely. Um, and and then you know what I tried to do is work through with him what he cared most about. Let's focus on the stuff you really care about. What's truly non-negotiable. And then you know let's park those to the side and then maybe look at you know where there's some middle ground perhaps on some of the other stuff that might be acceptable. Um, and ultimately we were able to complete the transaction, but it, and that wasn't a one-time discussion. You know, we kind of came to the precipice a bunch of times and, and, and ultimately it's not my job to decide whether he does the deal or not. It's, that's for him, it's his business. But it was my job, I think, to explain to him, you know, what the normal process was. Cause I think he was quite frankly, feeling a bit attacked and, and maybe disrespected, which wasn't the case at all. Um, and that was causing him to, to to push back unnecessarily. So you almost have to normalize 
the process. And as you said, when it's their baby for a founder, uh, it can be very personal, right? Any question yep. about the value of the business. How about emotion yep. in non-founder businesses? You know, when you're doing more of a, pr- a professional transaction. I mean, is it uh, you know for people who have never done M and A, are there you know yelling matches in the boardroom? Are there you know what's what's the scene like when things actually do get emotional? Yeah, it's well, it's and and these days it's it's more often than not on a conference call. But you know, we'll have these kind of all hands on deck conference calls with uh, the client. Um, you know, maybe general count, internal general counsel, maybe uh, external counsel, and then you know, on our side, and then the other side. And yeah, I've been on some you know calls that get you know pretty heated, and you know, there's a range of personalities, and some of them are ultra aggressive. Um, and, you know, you can see the steam coming out of their ears and, and sometimes, you know, something is said in a pretty inflammatory kind of way and there's silence for five seconds and then it's up to someone. And, uh, you know, I'm sometimes that person that will kind of step in and say, you know, okay, you know, clearly we've got an issue here. Let's step back. Um, let's try to understand, you know, you know, what your view is on that. And, you know, another strategy can sometimes be, you know, look at let's, I think we need to go away and talk amongst ourselves. Um, you know, once, assuming we do understand your position and, um, you know, work through this stuff on our side, see if there can be any accommodation, then let's schedule another call for tomorrow or later in the day or whatever it happens to be. But for sure, um, you know, it's, it's, it certainly shouldn't, leave the impression that, you know, the emotional aspect is limited to the family business context. And you're describing situations where you're having, you're, you're kind of mediating or de-escalating when, you know, things are getting heated. Is there ever yeah. the inverse? Do you ever encourage your clients to become more emotional, you know, and less clinical in the process? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't typically do that. I mean, that's not my <laughs> style. Um, it's It's kind of a high risk um, endeavor because, you know, sometimes it achieves the result, but sometimes, you know, people say, I'm out of here. You know, I'm not, I'm not playing with you if that's your approach. Um, and, and, you know, it depends on the bargaining strength and, and all the rest of it. So, you know, there could be circumstances where, where it makes sense. And, you know, I'm sure there have been times when I've said, you know, I think you should take a hard line on this. You know, I, I don't think I would typically suggest that someone jump up and down and scream and shout and name call, but certainly, you know, be firm. Um, but, um, you know, that's a, about as far as I would go, I think. Just you know, be firm. <laughs> Do you ever see tears in these things? I haven't. Uh, no, tears of, I don't think uh, I've seen Aside from tears. tears of joy when the, uh, the champagne I don't think, yeah, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen tears. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> that's a good sign. Well, Jeff, this has been... Uh, hugely valuable. I mean, I went through the process that it's kind of taking me back to a lot of, to my days. Our deal was obviously a bit longer than three months, but, you know, we went through, you know, as a family succession and, you know, my mother had built a great business that she was so proud of. And I know it was tough to let go. And of course for me, you know, I want to balance, you know, the respect for her with my desire to carry it on. And I think what you put these, you know, hearing you describe this developing rapport you know, helping us get to what we really wanted and managing emotion. I can see now that you put all of these things into practice to help the two of us really reach a, a great solution that that uh, paved the way for both of our futures. So 
on a personal note, I want to thank you for now letting me behind the curtain of what what helped you uh, achieve success for us. But also, I think it's just a great look at how negotiating is not just about the technical aspects of a deal. And it just shows why you need a great advisor in uh, in this process. Well, I just, I mean, it's, it's people driven, right? Like so many things and, you know, every business is different. Every case is different. And, you know, the personalities vary each time, which, which what is a large part of what keeps it fascinating for me. But in all, you know, regardless of those variables, um, you know, there's no doubt that you know, communication is critical. You got to take the lead and and steer things as constructively as you can, both with your client and 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 also with the other side. Um, and and you know, adapt, listen, and adapt. Um, and uh, you know, no two cases are the same, and you're constantly you know moving and uh, you know veering in this direction and back and forth and all the rest of it. But um, it you you cannot take a one size fits all approach. Uh, that's that's destined to failure for sure. Yeah. And and one final question I'll ask, uh, ask of you, you know, a lot of the people, you know, you've really described the role that you play as a professional advisor to help clients buy or sell businesses. Not everyone uh, is going to buy or sell a business in their lifetime, but almost everyone will have to negotiate for something, whether it's a new job, you know, a, a new apartment, whatever. Uh, if they're not hiring a lawyer to help them, is there any different way that they should think about applying these principles themselves of developing rapport, understanding what the what you and the other side wants, and managing emotion? Is there any difference if it's for them rather than for an advisor helping them? I don't think so. I mean, I think these are are kind of fundamental um, approaches that apply to any human interaction, you know, um, and and. Certainly, they apply to to what I do in my professional life, but you know they also apply to what I do. You know when, you know I'm going to the kids' school to talk to the teacher. You know it's it's just basic human interaction processes. So Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. If people want to get in touch with you or or Faskin, where can they go to connect? Yeah, so they, they're certainly welcome to visit uh, the Faskin.com website. Um, I have a, a page on there with my contact details and would be happy to uh, uh, to hear from anyone who's, who has questions or is interested in uh, engaging. Thank you so much for coming on. Have a great week, Jeff. Thanks, Bart. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Jeff Lister. What Jeff really made clear is that Whatever you're negotiating for, you need to consider more than just your position. You need to think about how you communicate throughout the process. If you enjoyed this conversation, please make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode of the Inspire podcast. Leave us a review. It helps others find us. And you can follow me on Twitter at THG underscore Bart. I'd love to get some questions from you on leadership communication. And if I get enough, I'll do a separate episode just on Q&A. Finally, if you want to learn more about the kind of work that we do at the Humphrey Group around leadership communication, you can visit us online at www.thehumphreygroup.com. Thanks for listening.